Amen. Our reading from God's holy word this morning comes from the letter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and extending to verse 5. Please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Before we pray and enter into consideration of the passage that we've just read, I want to circle back to the announcement I made at the very beginning, the upcoming mission trip here at Cornerstone, sponsored in partnership with Servant Group International. You will actually find on the tables in the back these cards, find them in the rear. You'll also find them to my left and to your right, which simply gives you an outline of the details of the trip as well as kind of a day-by-day, blow-by-blow, what to expect on our time there and some of the basic details. It's also got a a beautiful picture of of Athens there. Just encourage you after the service this morning, go by and pick one of these up. Go by and pick one of these up. Reflect on it together as we seek as a congregation to answer the call to go to the nations to make the love of Christ known in word. And indeed, that was part of the Apostle Paul's heart. He was a serial church planner, we might say, a serial missionary. He couldn't keep his feet in one place very long. Beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. Paul's feet must have been beautiful to the Lord. He was always going somewhere to make the Lord Jesus Christ known. And so as we enter into the letter of Galatians, a, a little region there in Asia Minor that actually would have been encompassed in ancient Greece. As we enter into this letter, we do so with acknowledging that we are looking at a man who's on mission. We are hearing from a man who is on mission because he has been so radically transformed by the power of the gospel that he can't stay put and he can't be quiet. He's got to make Christ known in every way that he knows possible. And so let's pray for some of that spirit to get into our hearts, both at a local and at a global level as a congregation as we seek to follow Christ together. Let's pray as we enter into reflection on this word. Father in heaven, we praise you for your scripture. We praise you that you are a speaking God. Even as we sang just a moment ago, we are praying that you would speak, O Lord, And renew in us a commitment to your truth. 
We don't have the ability within ourselves to perceive this spiritual truth. It cannot be gleaned naturally. Your Holy Spirit must be the one to awaken our minds and our hearts. He alone is the illuminator and the interpreter of this word. He alone can bring transformation into our hearts and lives. And so as we sit before this word this morning, we do so with utter humility and with absolute dependence. For apart from you, we can't hear a thing today. We can be changed in any way whatsoever apart from your Holy Spirit coming and doing what he can only do in our midst. And so, Father, I simply plead with you this morning to take what really feels like five loaves and two fish and make something of it to feed your people for the glory of your name, for the good of your church, for the advance of your kingdom. That's our, that's our hope, that's our purpose, and we would ask that you would set it in our hearts now to give our undivided attention to that which you want to communicate to us. Speak, O oh Lord, your servants are listening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think if, if you asked people who knew me pretty well, maybe people like my family, and even friends, they would, they would probably tell you that I'm a, a man who loves words. I know that will come as a great surprise to you in this room who've had to bear with and submit to many words from my mouth over the years. I pray more from the mouth of God than just mine, but you do have to hear this accent and inflection, southern U.S. accent and reflection, week after week as I come into the pulpit. And I just praise the Lord for that. I, I'm humbled by the fact that You know, over 52 Sundays of the year, let's say I'm here, you know, 43, 44 of those, 45 of those in this pulpit. You have to listen to like hours of this. And um, it's astonishing. Now, let's just multiply that over the course of years. Like you, I mean, you spent a lot of your life having to listen to this. Okay? That's a big deal. I respect that. I It's part of why I go, oh, Lord, please don't let this voice be ad nauseum to your people, but let it have something of the freshness and the power of your spirit each time that I stand, that I hope that you have a sense that you're not listening to a man, but you're listening to the word of God. I trust that's what drives you back here that week after week as we come before the word of the Lord this morning. I think my family would tell you I'm a man of words, not just spoken words, but I'm a man of written words. I love to write. Absolutely love to write. Many of you see that I love to write articles and publish things and love to write this weekly column and the pastoral notes. And it's just words, words, words. I just enjoy them. I love them. I believe there's a power in them. And by God's grace, He's given me some margin of craft to work with them. And I'm grateful for that. One of the things I love to do and I've always loved to do is write letters. I love to write letters. I love writing little cards to many of you as I'm praying for you. I, I love to write love letters to my wife. I've always loved to do that. We have this, we were dating just binders of letters and boxes of letters, mostly mine, a few of hers. 
She doesn't write as much as I write, and hers are shorter than mine, you might imagine. Um, I love to write letters. Um, it's fun to get letters in the mail, isn't it? It's just a fun thing to get letters in the mail. I love it when I get letters in the mail and I open it up and read it, and it's just it's incredibly encouraging. And, and so I, I want to, to duplicate that experience for others in the writing of letters. And I, I love putting a personal touch in whatever subject matter that may be dealing with in order to minister, in order to serve, and hopefully to penetrate into the heart of the person in whom is the recipient of that letter. That's at least my prayer. Just this week, I was reminded of the power of letters. I had the privilege of contributing and participating in a conference and listening in this conference. I heard a fine lecture on the Scottish Presbyterian minister Samuel Rutherford. He was born in 1600, very faithful, small church pastor, but brilliant scholar, well known for his little book, Lex Rex, which means the law is king. He was really arguing in that book for a, for a small government, a limited government, in a period in time in history where the divine right of kings was believed, meaning that the word of the king was law rather than the law was under the king. And he was, he was arguing something very unpopular in his day, but that book has become significant in governmental reflection and thought over the years. But for those who really know Samuel Rutherford, the interesting thing is it's not Lex Rex, it's not the brilliance of his uh, scholarship that rises above, it's the remarkable communion that he shared with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know where we see that communion so beautifully? We see it in his letters. Now, I'm embarrassed to say I never actually read his letters until Friday of this week because I heard that fine lecture and I was like, I got to read these letters. And I made my way through about 20 of them. Let me just give you a glimpse of, of his letters. Here's one to a woman who's, who's struggling in the gospel. Oh, madame, what love, what love. Christ would not entrust redemption to angels, not even to millions of angels, but he would himself come and suffer for us. He would not give a low and base price for our clay. He would buy us with a great ransom. In fact, he would overbuy us and overbid for us. In the market for our souls. Oh how sad it is that we underbid him. And undervalue. The prince of love. Who did such overvalue us. That we would not sell all that we have to buy him. And yet he sold all that he had in himself. To buy us. Or in this letter. Christ all seasons of the year are dropping sweetness. If I had vessels, I would fill them all. But I am riven and holy and I have a running out dish. Even when I am well, I can bring, it seems, almost nothing away. Nothing but glory will make tight and fast my leaky vessel. How little of the sea a child can carry in the palms of his hand. As little as I take away from the great sea, my boundless and running over Christ.
Now, when you hear those words, you think, oh, I thought I had some craft in words. I don't have anything like that. Praise be to God for men like Samuel Rutherford. Begins to understand why C.H. Spurgeon said that next to the divine scriptures, the very nearest thing to inspiration is Rutherford's letters. Letters have this incredible, powerful, revealing glory to them. Because in letters, whatever subject matter is being discussed, you get slices of a person's life and you get their emotion, their loves and their longings. You get a sense of the circumstance that they're in with the recipient themselves. And it creates this incredible blend of truth and realness and emotion and pathos and The reality of life begins to live within the letter and it becomes something that's living and penetrating as you read it. I feel this every year during Christmas when we read our Christmas cards. Do you read your Christmas cards aloud to each other on Christmas morning? Some of you, maybe, no. I'm getting no response. (laughs) We sometimes do. The problem is we can never make them through you know, our cards, because our cards are, cards are really important. Like, I mean, literally, it's the last thing we do on Christmas morn is, is read cards, because we're building to the cards. And it's where we, we pour our love out for each other, and undoubtedly, we end up being a blubbering mess at the end of the reading of those cards. And we begin to wonder, why do we buy all this stuff? Like, that was amazing. We can just... We can share in the sweetness of the treasure of love through word and card. And I have to believe that something of that is taking place when you begin to look over what is the dominant form of communication in the entirety of the New Testament. You realize that 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament are letters. Some of the letters are to personal individuals. Like 1 Timothy and Titus and Philemon. But most of the letters are written to churches like Ephesians and Philippians or 1 and 2 Corinthians. Or like the letter before us, Galatians. And interestingly, among the letter writers, the Apostle Paul is the most prolific. 13 of those 21 letters written by the Apostle Paul. 14, if you believe he wrote Hebrews, which there's some debate over whether he wrote it and whether Hebrews is a letter. But what that means is that about half of the New Testament has been entrusted to the Apostle Paul. And that almost two-thirds of the New Testament is written in the communication of letters. And that this genre of communication, this personal mix and blend of life and recipient and truth is part of the dynamic of congregational life. That's what's happening even in this preaching event right now. My heart, your heart, together around the truth. It's like a living epistle taking place in this moment. And we get the joy of being able to pour over someone's personal communication that is also Christ's personal communication to us. It's no surprise that this letter of Galatians is one of the most celebrated of all of Paul's letters. Because it sets forth one of the clearest and most compelling presentations of the gospel you will find anywhere in the New Testament. Rivaled maybe only by the book of Romans. For here we see that glorious doctrine of justification by faith alone. That we are saved by grace 
through faith in Christ for the glory of God alone. That's the essence of the truth of the book of Galatians. And you see why in the recovery of the truth of of what is here in Galatians through Martin Luther, through John Calvin, through the theologians of the Reformation sparked one of the most phenomenal history-shaping church renewal movements there ever was. It was was in the recovery of these truths that were embedded within the book of Galatians that God has been pleased over the years to revive his church. We need that kind of reviving. And it's my earnest prayer that God would be pleased to do that. At whatever level that looks like, be amazing if he would sweep over us, wouldn't it? And would reap an incredible amount of harvest from our souls and even the souls in our community through a preaching or recovery of the book of Galatians. But we just want to entrust his providence to that. He's so wise. He knows exactly the timing and the needs of everybody in this room and the movement of his spirit in the time in which we live and in the geography of which we live. We entrust that to him. But will you pray with me for that? Will you join with me for that prayer? Do you sense your own need for that kind of reviving? A fresh fall of the Holy Spirit. As we enter into that prayer together and that hope together as we make our way into Galatians I want to simply set the stage for you today like we're getting ready for a meal. I just want to kind of get out the plates and the napkins and the utensils and tell you a little bit about this book. And then next week we'll begin to feed a little bit more on this incredible work. And so to do that, I just want to talk about two things. I just want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the authority on which this letter rests. The authority on which this letter rests because that's critical for the Apostle Paul. And I want you to see, secondly, the reason for which this letter is written. The authority on which this letter rests. And I want you to see the reason for which this letter is written. Those are the two things we're going to look at today in these first five verses. The authority, first, on which this letter is rests. Now, who is the writer of this letter? Well, none other than the Apostle Paul. But who is Paul? (laughs) Who is this masked man? What do we know about him? Well, we're going to learn a lot about him through the study of this letter, but I want to just get into a few details by way of introduction today. He's a man who wasn't always known by the name Paul. Maybe that's one place to start. He's the Paul who was once referred to as Saul that we read about in the book of Acts. In fact, there are 15 references to this man Paul under the name Saul in Acts 7 through 13. One of those references comes from the very lips of the risen Lord Jesus who appears to the apostle Paul, at that point Saul, on the road to Damascus. And he says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was a persecutor of the church, hated the church. Tradition has it that he instigated The martyrdom of Stephen, the very first martyr that we see in the book of Acts. We know that he was present 
Many believe he actually was pulling the strings behind the scene to get to the place of Stephen's stoning. This is a man of incredible power, a man of incredible acumen intellect, as we see through these letters. He was a man who was a movement leader, Pharisee of Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin that he speaks of in Philippians, other things of which we'll talk about. It's likely that his namesake is King Saul in the Old Testament. Because King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin as well, and it was very traditional to carry on names that were within the tribes. So it's very possible that he actually is a kingly name as the first king of the people of Israel. This is an incredible man just within his person, apart from his conversion, for he was a force to be reckoned with previous to encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus. But after he encountered Jesus, boy, was he a force to be reckoned with. That's why when Paul says in verse 1 that he's an apostle, notice this language, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, he's not merely speaking a truth in the abstract. He saw the risen Christ with his very own eyes. He's speaking an eyewitness account. This father raised Jesus from the dead. How do I know? He blinded me with his light on the road to Damascus. I met him. He's the one who commissioned me. And called me into the work of ministry. I was headed somewhere to destroy Christians. And he transformed me on the road. So I became a preacher of the gospel. That those might be saved to become Christians. In one fell swoop. A persecutor of the church. To apostle for the church. It's an amazing story. It was a defining moment. In Paul's life, he recounts it multiple times in his letters at some detail. And maybe most gloriously at the end of the book of Acts, where he goes into the fullness of that story for gospel purposes. It's important that we understand this as a backdrop to the writer of this letter of Galatians, because you're going to see these details filter through the letter. I'll try to draw attention to them as we come through. But I think it, particularly in the letter of Galatians, that notion of apostle is really critical. Because Paul here is really emphatic about the kind of apostleship that he has, that he possesses. Notice the way he puts it. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father whom he raised from the dead. He's, he doesn't start any other letter like this. He always, he always uses the title apostle. Apostle was his most well-known self-designation. But he, he never qualifies it in the way that he does here in the book of Galatians. Not from men nor through men. And I think that's, that's, really, that's really important. What, what does he mean by this term, this title of apostle? What do we mean when we hear this title apostle? Well, apostle is an interesting word. It actually can be used formally and it can be used informally. For instance, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Paul actually speaking of Epaphroditus says he was a minister and an apostle. He says the same thing in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 of the men of Macedonia who were going out to serve the poor. A similar term is used of Andronicus and Unius in Romans 16, 7, that they were apostolic. The, the word literally means to be sent or to be the sent one. It's to be commissioned. 
When we talk about mission, which we've done so far this morning, when we send missionaries out, what do we do with them? We, we bring them up here to the front of the church. We lay our hands on them. We pray for them. And we send them out. We're sent out by men, through men. That's not how Paul was sent out. See, I stand before you today in, in a very real sense, embracing and abiding in an apostolic call. Because I've been sent on a mission. I've been tested. I've, been, I've had hands laid upon me. I have this category of ordained. I have those three little letters in the front of my name, R-E-V. Right? I've been sent. I've been sent for a particular mission. In one sense, it's apostolic. In another sense, it has nothing to do with the office of apostle. The office of apostle is unique. It's unique among the callings that are given to men. And the Apostle Paul here is saying, listen, I have a unique calling. It's on line with Peter and the other disciples, the other apostles. I have been sent out not from men or through men, but I've been sent out by Jesus Christ himself. Who he means to say is no mere man. Notice there's kind of an assumption of deity in saying it that way. I'm sent out from Jesus, not from men. He doesn't mean to deny the humanity of Jesus at all. He's simply saying, Jesus is not a mere man. I've been sent out by God himself. So Church of Galatia, as I write to you, I don't want to, you to be confused that I come on the recommendation of other men and you can take or leave the subject matters that I bring to you. No, I'm an apostle who has been sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that as I speak to you, as I write to you, he speaks to you, he writes to you, I come in his authority and his authority alone. That's an amazing statement. That's an amazing statement. By the Apostle Paul. Now we know this is critical because Paul actually writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's through the prophets and the apostles that the foundation of the church is formed in whom Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. We know it's important because in Revelation 21 when the city of Jerusalem, the new city, comes down out of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth are built, we're told that the 12 tribes of Israel's names will be inscribed on the gates of that city. And you know what we're also told? We're told that the 12 names of the apostles will be inscribed on the foundations of the city. In other words, Nate's name won't be there. And neither will Calvin's, nor Augustine's. But Paul's will be. It's fundamentally different. There is a qualitative different thing happening. And Paul here from the very beginning is saying, as I write to you, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church, I don't come here to give you words that you can choose whether or not you like them. I come to deliver you the unadulterated truth of Christ himself. And it is the truth on which you Live or die, stand or fall. It's an incredibly strong statement. Now the question is, do we actually approach the text of Scripture this way? <laughs> you know, when you open up your, your Bibles, is the level of attention 
and is the heart posture of submission consonant with the quality of the word given? That's the question. So he's preparing the Galatians for this. You're going to have some hard things to say, some challenging things to say. In this letter, Church of Galatia, you're going to be tempted to deny them. I want your attention to be up. I want your heart to be submitted because everything I'm going to say comes with the very authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's what he's saying. Are we approaching the text of Scripture this way? I was, I was talking to some friends this week, and we were talking about, we were talking about presbytery, okay? Where we get together, work on missions, ordain men, number of things that we do at our geographical presbytery meetings. And we were talking about one particular presbytery meeting where we have to listen to candidates. These are, these are young men who are pursuing ministry who are not yet ordained. We have to listen to them preach. We actually have to examine their, their preaching. It's a delightful experience for them. As you might imagine, having a bunch of preachers listen to you preach when you're not much of a preacher yet. And uh, so it's a wonderful experience. And I, I've really felt for one of these uh, young men recently because we were told they got to preach at 15 minutes, right? 15 minute sermon. Got to, you know, we got several to hear today. And so he was shocked by this. He, he planned more than that. And so he asked us, he asked us, bless his heart. This is in no way intending to belittle him. It's the kind of, it's the exact kind of thing I would do. He said, uh, since we are, we're short of time, should I, should I read the text? Yeah, you should probably read the text. It's the, it's the one absolutely truthful thing you will do. Right? But he, he like, like me, and probably like you, get enamored with other words. I get enamored with the words that I want to say about the word. More sometimes than the word. And it's convicting. It's convicting when that's the case. Paul, Paul is speaking to that kind of reality right here. He's actually asking you, what words are you most attentive to? Or maybe whose words are you most attentive to? Have you noticed this about your own self? You don't listen to everybody's words with equal amount of interest. Let's just be honest about that. Right? There are certain people when they talk, you go, hmm, I'm going to listen to this. And there are certain people before they say anything, you, just, you see them just about to speak. You're like, whatever it is, it's not going to be helpful. I mean, it, right? This is what we do. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying this is what we do. Do you, know, do you know why you do that? We do that because we hold certain people in high esteem more than we do other people. And we believe they deserve the respect and the attention that we give them while we don't believe other people do. Which is to say, we are under or influenced by one person's authority in speaking much more than we are by another one. Who are you listening to? Who do you hold in high esteem? Where's your respect? We could plow through a novel. Can't find time for the word. Love my blog sites. Can't read the scripture. Test your heart. 
Test your heart. The Apostle Paul is saying, I'm coming with the very words of Jesus. Let me ask you, if Jesus were here today, would you want to listen to him? You're like, yeah, if he were here, he'd probably be a lot better preacher than you. I would listen to him. Friends, he's here today in the preaching of his word. You're standing at attention to the word of God. That's what Paul is raising for the church at Galatia. We're going to talk about this more. You're like, I hope not. Man, we just, you wore us out on that. I mean it. We'll talk about this more. We need this. This is important. Because you know the question that the Reformation was really asking? The question was, was not really primarily at the end of the day justification by faith alone or the gospel of Jesus Christ. That became the fruit of it. The question that the Reformation, the renewal movement of the Reformation was really addressing was who can we trust to tell us about God? By what authority can I trust to tell me about God? Am I going to trust the tradition of the church? Am I going to trust the Pope? Or am I going to trust the Word of God? That was the issue. Fundamentally, at the base of the renewal movement of what the Lord brought forth was a question of whether you are going to be more attentive to the words of men or to the Word of God. That was the question. And we've seen throughout church history that when we get that wrong, we get everything else wrong flows from that. We've got to get that right in terms of our commitment to the Word of God. Now, when we think about it in this way, then, what is it that Paul, if he's arguing for his authority that much, we're going to see this actually more later in this chapter, what's the reason for which this letter is being written? <laughs> Didn't it raise that question? If Paul feels almost on the front end, he needs to assert some authority and clarify his sense of call, there's almost a defensiveness in the nature of the way the Apostle Paul writes here. Why is that the case? What's the reason for which this letter is written? Well, I think to answer that question in the second place, we need to know a little bit about the churches of Galatia. The churches of Galatia. Now, Galatia was a little province of Rome. It, um, I wish I had, you, you actually could, you could do this in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you. I encourage you to have your Bibles with you. If you have your Bibles with you, in the very back you'll have these wonderful maps. If you look at the wonderful maps at the end of your Bible and you look at Paul's missionary journeys, you're going to see a little section between the Black Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, because that's kind of what it looks like. Black Sea up here, Mediterranean Sea here. Modern day Istanbul, kind of right here in Turkey, just to the, to the east of that, down Galatia, ancient Galatia. All right? That's, that's what's going on. That's the location of where it is that the Apostle Paul is writing. And notice what he says here. He says, I write to the churches of Galatia. This is not to a single church. He's writing to a series of churches. And that makes sense because Galatia is not a, it's not a city. It's a large region. It's a fairly significant swath of, of land. And we know the Apostle Paul knows personally those whom he's writing to. He doesn't 
necessarily, as he writes to the church at Rome, for instance, he doesn't know specifically all of the people in, in Rome. He's actually paving a way to go there. And his letter's a means by which to open that door. Here, Paul actually planted the churches he's likely writing to in Galatia. Churches like Antioch, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium. If you were to look at Acts chapter 13 to 14, we're actually in that section of Paul's ministry. He goes from one place to the next, preaching God's word. What that means is that these are churches of which the Apostle Paul had a close relationship. He had names and he had faces in mind as he wrote the letter of Galatians. And notice his greeting to them. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. As he thinks about the names and the faces of the churches at Galatia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbys, he's thinking about them, grace and peace to you. And you think, well, Nate, that's not that exciting. He does that in every one of his letters. I mean, I've read the letters of Paul. He always starts out with grace and peace to you. That is correct. It's a run-of-the-mill introduction for the Apostle Paul, but I'd like to suggest it's not run-of-the-mill here in context. Because as Paul writes to this church, which he really knows and loves, he writes to a church that's not doing well. He writes to a church that's not doing well. In fact, he's writing to a church that's lost its vision of grace and no longer is experiencing the peace of the gospel. He writes to a people who've been harried by false teaching. We know that because if you have your Bibles open, verse 6, look at what he says. I am astonished or shocked at how quickly you are deserting him who called you in the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel. We're going to talk about that more next week. But notice what he's trying to say. In fact, Galatians, just word of note, it's the only letter that doesn't have a thanksgiving. <laughs> Paul is not really happy. As he writes the letter of Galatians, he's agitated, he's concerned that those whom he preached to in Acts chapter 13 where it says many were converted and the kingdom of God spread throughout the region are now turning away so quickly after he's preached the gospel to him. So he's like a spiritual father here who's looking at his children going astray from the gospel, and he writes to them with a sense of urgency and concern and even angst over what it is that he sees. And he wants to see them turn back to the gospel. He wants them to know the unmerited favor and forgiveness of God in sin. And he wants them to know the perfect state of wholeness and well-being that comes from being in Christ. And he wants them to live from that place. That's what the words of grace and peace mean. And they're not experiencing them right now. The 4th century golden-tongued pastor John Chrysostom said this. He says, since they were in danger of falling from grace, Paul prays that they would recover it. And since they are in rebellion against God, he beseeches God to restore them to peace. And then he says, here's what I want to focus on. Here's what he'll focus on. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. How do you get grace and peace? Through the one who has delivered us 
from our sins and the one who has brought us out of this present evil age. You can't have grace unless you had Jesus die for your sins and by faith trust in the saving work of Christ on the cross and thus receive the unmerited favor of God for the forgiveness of your sins. You can't experience it unless you know the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and its purposes. He who saved you from your sins and delivered you from the domain of darkness or from this present evil age. Now it's really important that we just pause on that word deliverance. It's a really important word for the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Galatians. Chapter 5, for freedom you have been set free. That's another way of saying what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here. He's saying to you and he's saying to me, you've been delivered. Live delivered. You've been delivered. Now live out that deliverance. You've been delivered from this present evil age. Now what does he mean by that? All right, I want to ask you something. I mean, sometimes you read the, do you ever read scripture and you kind of think, really? I was delivered from the present evil age? I kind of look around and, Hmm. kind of feels like it's still evil in the present age, and I don't feel like I'm totally delivered from it. You ever feel that way? Yes, you do. Yes. That is the right answer. Yes, you do. You do feel that way. I feel that way, because that's true. You have not, in a consummated and complete sense, been utterly delivered like you will be on the point of Christ's return when you are holy as he is holy and you stare at his glorious face and you are like him. You've not experienced it in that way yet, but you know how you have experienced it? You've experienced it through conversion, the moment that you trust in Christ. In that moment, everything didn't get solved, but you were positionally now found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Colossians. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're no longer yourself. The power of the resurrection spirit now resides within you. You have a position of love. You have the power of that spirit to overcome sin. You are now going to grow into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been delivered from the bondage of this present evil age. But it's still present. But you now in Christ have power in it and over it. Now that's really remarkable for us to contemplate because we are in, the way he's saying it is, the future age of glory is breaking in now to the present and it resides in your heart. And parallel to the future age of glory is the present evil age. And they're rocking along side by side in history. And one is going to overtake the other. That is the kingdom of Christ is going to ultimately move to consummation. But you, don't you oftentimes live like you've not really been delivered through Christ? You just go, I can't fight that sin. It's just, it's just too hard. Right? You've been delivered from the present evil age. Christ is... Christ has died for that sin and he's given you the spirit that raised him from the dead. It's anathema to say that that sin has power over you in a way that cannot be overcome. Are you saying the spirit of God can't overcome this? <laughs> That's living in the deliverance. 
of this present evil way. Just living and appropriating, being connected in union with the position, the power of Jesus Christ. The church at Galatia was beginning to lose that. They were beginning to lose that. And the apostle Paul is saying here, I want you to grow into the power and the position that is yours in Christ. And I want you to experience his grace and the fullness of his peace. I love how Paul says it finally in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be conformed to this age, right? To this age. Which he also calls the age of the evil one, the prince and the power of the air, right? You've been delivered from that. It's still around you. You still have remnants of the flesh within you. But that's not who you are. And that's not the power that is being unleashed in and through you. It's a battle that you're in. Do not be conformed to this present age, but what? Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. What happens when we actually show up on Sunday morning? What what is going on right now? If you are attentive to the word of God and the Holy Spirit is at work in you, you know what is happening? The renewal of your mind is happening. Things that you didn't believe Saturday night, you are now freshly believing again on Sunday morning. And isn't it amazing that by Monday midday, it'll all have leaked out of you again. You remember how Samuel Rutherford said it? I'm a leaky vessel. I'm a leaky vessel. Do you know what that means then? You have to constantly be renewing your mind. If this is your only meal for the week, you starve. You starve. You starve. Your meat and drink like Jesus's must be to do the will of God and for you to know the will of God. You've got to love his word and you've got to approach his word with an utterly submissive spirit. Not merely to hear and to listen and to walk away with some neat truth, but to follow and obey. That's how you experience the peace of this kingdom that has been unleashed, this kingdom that is growing, that has come upon you. Don't let it be the testimony. I was reading... A John Piper's sermon a week or two ago, and he quoted from 2 Timothy 4. I, I think got to be one of the most haunting passages in all the scripture. Paul says of Demas, he has deserted me because he loved this present age. Same language. He has deserted me because he loved this present age. That, that's hanging in the balance in Galatians. And truth be known, friends, that's hanging in the balance for some of us in this room right now. That we are so wedded to this age. We have no hunger for the eternal. We've lost a palate for the spiritual loveliness of Jesus. It doesn't motivate us. It doesn't drive us. And so we have to plead with the Lord Jesus Christ that we not be conformed to this present age, but we be transformed. By the renewing of his power. By the renewing of his power and the lightning of our minds. The Lord Jesus Christ brought this about when he died on the cross for us. When he resurrected from the grave, the first fruits of the resurrection, that spirit which right now dwells within you. If we were to believe that Jesus was speaking to us from Galatians, and we were to believe that the spirit of God resides within us, who raised Jesus from the dead, and we were to lean into those two truths prayerfully and gave God no rest in our pursuit of him, 
I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but lives would radically be changed. Radically be changed. Could it be that your life is not changing because that's just not the heartbeat of your life? Well, then today is a day to meet Jesus. Today is a day to not be Demas. Today is the day to walk into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or to renew a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ that we've let wax and we've let wane. We've been delivered from this present evil age. This present evil age is still after us. Galatians is written to set us free. As we listen to this book, as we pay attention to the Spirit of God in our hearts through it, maybe we'll be set free. Maybe we'll be set free and experience the grace and the peace in deeper dimensions than we've ever had before. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we would ask that you would do that right there. That you would astonish us with the power of your word in the spirit and you would renew us. And for those of us among you, you and your spirit right now who don't know you, that we would get to know you and you'd be mindful of our need. Come and humble us now and give us over to your grace and your peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.